Uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to, to speak your name like the song this morning. Uh, you made it possible, Lord, for us to be yours and you to be ours, Lord God. That's so magnificent. That's just the gospel wrapped up. Lord, I thank you that you did all the work and we can do all the believing. And Lord, we thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, speaks loud and clear through me, revealing Jesus Christ in all his glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message today is Living to Die and Dying to Live. Uh, back in 1969, there was a uh, uh, psychiatrist that wrote a book. His name was Thomas Harris. And the book was called, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody remember that? Yeah. All right. Okay, there's a few of you. I'm okay, you're okay. And uh, it started out very, you know, it sold like 15,000 copies. And by 1972, it was the New York Times bestseller for two years. It was a self-help book. And uh, it, was, it was a process they called transactional analysis. And uh, this psychiatrist had developed it. Uh, you know, we always need self-help. Self-help books were always going to sell. They will sell into eternity because we all need something. We all need help. So self-help books are, are great, and, they, and this thing just hit the charts and, and uh, uh, was really fantastic. But basically, it, it talked about four stages of human beings. And those four stages are if you want to put them up there, LED. Um, I think the first one is probably I'm okay, you're not okay. Uh, you're not okay, I'm okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. And I'm okay, you're okay. Well, if we look at, if we look at fallen man without Jesus Christ, none of them are okay. Not one of them are okay. You're not okay and I'm not okay. And God discovered that and knew that. And so he, when, when, man, when, when sin was so prevalent on the earth, he took a group of people called the Jews. He said, I'm going to make them white people, and I'm going to give them laws, and we're going to make this thing right, and they're going to become okay. Well, we know from past history, we know from the Old Testament, that that didn't turn out that way. But the, the law was designed to show us our sin. The law was never designed to make us right, to make us righteous, to make us holy. It was never designed for that. You know, you know they say, well, you know, on every courthouse in America or every, every capital in the city, we should have the Ten Commandments by every courthouse. I think we should have the cross. That's where the real answer is. Because the law showed us our sin. The law never redeemed anybody. The law never cuddled up to us and said, you're doing a good job, and now you're going to heaven. It never said that. It wasn't meant for that. It was meant as a mirror to show us our sin. And not very comforting. So here we have a predicament. And the first... Uh, uh, the first... Uh, 
Romans 3.10 is the first uh, verse I want to read out of. Kind of describes the situation uh, very well. Romans 3, 10 through 20. That's really not very good news. I know you didn't come to church to hear this. It says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, and there is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless, and there is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. And verse 19 goes on to say, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Verse 20 says, because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I want to repeat that. Because this caused a lot of confusion in Christianity today. It says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. None of us can be justified by keeping the law. Because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that was the purpose of the law, the knowledge of sin. Let's turn now to Ephesians 2, chapter 1 through 9. We get a little insight into what God is thinking about all this time. How he analyzed the situation. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you, you and I, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the devil, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. He has no other business right now to make us disobedient. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved us. We have to see that in that scripture, that because of his great love, it stopped the whole process. If he wasn't like who he was, we would still be lost, we'll still be doomed forever. But because of the nature of God and who he is, it holds everything and he says, being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us. Remember at the start of this verse it said we were dead in our sins. But yet he loved us. And even when we were dead in our transgression and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Not the law, by grace. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That means in eternity 
we will be revealed. He will be revealing forever what he's doing and what he's done for us. Can you imagine that? I, I can't imagine that. That we're going we're gonna to know more and more and more every day his goodness and his love. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We don't want to lose that. We're saved by his grace, by faith, not by what you and I do. Glory to God forever. Uh, because I, I can't do it. If you're going to follow the law, the Bible says you have to follow every bit of the law. Every bit of the law. It's not the result of works that no one should boast. If we, have, if we as redeemed sinners, redeemed by the blood of Christ, if we find a way in there to wiggle out under the cross and all of a sudden say, you know what I've done? I've been to church for 35 years and never missed a Sunday. I serve in my church council for 15 years. I've never had a drink of liquor and I've never cussed or swore. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do you a bit of good. Isn't that amazing? Because if I can boast about something, I've lost the grace. The grace is gone. He deserves absolutely every bit of the praise and worship for what he's done in, in your life and my life. Every bit of it. I'd like to take some credit. I'd like to say, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've done this. This is pretty good. There's, there's a couple things that happen here, and they're very devastating. One is I get real high on myself, and I get a little boastful, and I get a little prideful, and uh, I can kind of point some fingers, and I can start judging, and I can become a Pharisee in a second. That's what happens when we boast. Or I can go the other way and say, I'm not making it. I just ain't doing it right. I just don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I just don't do that. You can go two different directions. You can exalt yourself or you can debase yourself so much that you totally give up. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Let's turn a page there. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. That's for you. That's for me. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that you, being in, <clears throat> excuse me, rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's good news. 
That's good news. Now, if we go back to verse 20, you know, this is where it pays to study. It says, according to the power that works within me. There's a power working within you and I as believers right now that we don't even, we don't even know about. Once in a while, we'll sense, yeah, you know, I sense his presence. But he's working all the time. He's changing us. He's conforming us. He's in there working right now in a believer's heart. So you can see after reading a verse like that, we say, I'm not okay. You're not okay. That's not okay. He's okay. But he became not okay so you and I could be okay. Okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, back when Back when the law was given, back before Christ, man had to do everything in order to achieve somewhat of redemption with God. He had to do it. He had to do the law. He had to do something to make him appear good before God. Now that we have the cross, he did it all. And we get to live in it. Do you remember last, that was about three Sundays ago, Mike gave a message on, uh, um, in Luke 14 about counting the cost. Remember that? That was, was a heavy message. I remember I used to read, uh, actually we can put that up now, Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. And turn there quickly. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In light of what we've just read out of Ephesians and other verses, how this has been given to us, all of a sudden we read a passage like that and it kind of stops us in our track. I remember... I remember looking at that, and, and I would be stopped dead cold. I said, wait a minute there. What's this going to cost me? And the message that Mike gave was to count the cost. See what, see what this is. See what this is. See what you're getting into here. I remember I used to bawl. I mean, I literally used to cry when I read this. I, I did. I would just absolutely cry. I said, I can't do this. I, I have to do this to be redeemed? Now, we've got to be very, very careful. I think Mike pointed that out. We have to be very careful here because we can get in bondage very, very quickly. We can lose the joy of our salvation. We can lose the, the vision of a wonderful Savior that we have because all of a sudden it puts a focus back on us again, just like the law did. Well, I've got to act right. I've got to do this in order to obtain this righteousness. In Ephesians, it tells us to believe, and you have this. We no longer achieve, now we believe. But what do we do with these verses? Let's take a look at them. First of all, we know that it's costly. It costs Jesus. It costs our Heavenly Father everything he had in heaven 
to make us right. So sometimes they always say, well, if you're not preaching grace to the point where somebody can walk out of church and say, you know, I'm absolutely free. I am absolutely free from sin. I'm just going to enjoy it. But of course, the next verse says, oh, yeah, but you've got to do something. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait a minute here. Well, so what do I do? Well, this verse here, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, if we don't read it right, we can get in bondage again. Let's look at deny. He says, if you're going to come after me, now you've got to remember the scene here. He's talking to his disciples. He says, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Let's, 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 let's look at what deny, uh, denying ourselves is not self-denial. That doesn't mean you can't have chocolate again. Some of us probably shouldn't, but it's a whole bunch of can'ts, cannots again. I read on, uh, I was reading about some of the extreme things that people do when they, when they view this wrong, when they, when they deny it's self-denial versus denying self. I read about some uh, monks who used to have themselves castrated, and they would take chains every morning and, and, and uh, beat themselves with these chains. I read about, uh, this was almost an epidemic in uh, the Orient years and years back, where there was actual, they crucified themselves. They actually went on the cross and were crucified. I read about one monk, they, he lived in a barrel. Put him in a barrel, and he was all cramped up. And they fed him a little food once in a while. Let him out of the barrel, clean the barrel, put him back in the barrel. That's not that what that means. Denying self is saying, there is no way that I can do anything for my righteousness. Not one thing. I am no longer the Lord of my life. He's paid for my life. I cannot claim anything in what I do to obtain right standing with God. So right away he says, You're, now remember, they're used to following the law. The law is the only thing I had. If, if I broke the law, if I, didn't, if I did something wrong on the Sabbath, I got stoned. So, they, they, so it's up to me. But he's saying, no, you deny yourself. You deny yourself the right and privilege to obtain your own righteousness. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, this one here has been really, really maligned. Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, I read a lot of commentaries on this, and I could just see the law coming back again. Well, now I've got to do this. Pick up a cross. That means I've got to suffer. Uh, they got, again, I, like I said, in, uh, in Oriental countries, they were crucifying themselves. But now I gotta now I gotta go back and uh, well, what's that? 
Well, when he spoke of uh, carry your cross, pick up your cross and follow me, at about the time that Jesus lived on earth, there was probably 30,000 crucifixions. They knew exactly what a crucifixion was. You took your cross, first you were probably whipped and scourged like they did with Jesus, and then you put this thing on your back and, they, and you were uh, naked uh, and you carried your cross to the place of crucifixion. Total humiliation. Some of them even branded on their skin, uh, traitor, thief, liar, adulterer. This was under Roman rule. And they would take that cross and would go to their place of execution and die. Now, that could be kind of confusing for us because we don't see that today. We don't understand that. But if you get in countries where uh, there's total opposition to the gospel, you'll see a lot of persecution that is similar to that. And what he's saying is, be prepared. I don't have this uh, on the, this not on the screen, but in John 15, I, he told his disciples, he said, they're going to crucify me, they're going to kill me, they're going after you too. Because you've identified yourself with me. He said, there is no, no uh, student that's greater than his master. So whatever they do to me, they're going to do to you. And so they understood that. So he said, be prepared. And I think he's telling us today, be prepared. You're going to get opposition. You're going to get ridicule. You're going to be laughed at. You will be uh, maligned. In the press today, boy, you don't have to listen to the news very long, and you'll see how idiotic Christians are today. How they've turned everything around. In Christianity. You know, nowadays, homosexual can marry legally in Minnesota. And they've turned around to look like Jesus and believers hate homosexuals. That's not true. We love them. My faults are just as filthy as theirs. I've got a Savior, not because of what I did because of what he did. They've got a savior, not because of what they do or don't do, because of who he is. And we have to accept him by faith, repent of our sins. We have a savior. So this whole thing is taking a turn on us. This is our going back to our take up your cross and follow me. We're going to see things, and they're going to, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. The Bible promises it's going to get worse. It's going to get so bad to the point that you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything if you take a mark. Of course, there's a lot of speculation. These could be, you know, engrafted uh, credit card system with your hand. You go to the grocery store, you put out your hand, take a number. You know, we've all talked about those things in, in uh, uh, Revelation and times. But it will get worse. And that's what he's talking about. You're going to have to pick up your card. If they, if they malign you, they're going, to get, they're going to go after you too. Same thing. And so now he says, follow me. Now follow me. If you're going to keep your life, you're going to lose it. If you're going to lose your life, for me, for my sake, 
your people. Sometimes I like to look at that as, would I rather have a shack, live in a shack, or would I rather be in a mansion? Would I rather get rid of the Chevy and drive a Rolls Royce? That's kind of what he's saying. Mike always says 57 Chevy. Doesn't he know what they're worth? <laughs> Come on. I heard him say that. I got, I got to straighten him out on that. They're worth a lot of money. He should say a Vega or a something like that. <laughs> okay. So... In order, to, in order to brace up to the denying, picking up the cross, losing our life, there has to be something greater. There has to be something greater than us. There has to be something worth going through that. Paul wants to tell us that in Ephesians. Let's, let's look at Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 16 through 18. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you at my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope is of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul is telling us, look to him. He's praying for us, and he's saying, and he's praying for the church at that time. He said, I pray that you get a revelation of this Jesus Christ, because denying yourself and losing your life and picking up your cross will be nothing. It'll be nothing. Got another verse in Ephesians 3. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and, that, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled all the, with all the fullness of God. What he is saying here and, and his prayer is that you would understand and comprehend what a Savior we have. You know, back in the 70s, uh, we, uh, we all watch the Vikings every Sunday afternoon. We usually come out to our place, and we'd roast a pig, roast a deer or something, and, and watch the Vikings in our garage, the screen about that big. You know, and, and, uh, and we just, just, you know, party on, you know. So uh, they, got, they went into playoffs. Uh, of course, 70s were good for the Vikings. But, uh, so we were going to get playoff tickets. This is at the old Metrodome. So you had to get in line about 4 in the morning. So there's a few of us that did that. It's cold. It's, uh, it's uh, either late December or early January. 
and we're out in the cold, and we get out there in the parking lot, you know, it's dark, and uh, <clears throat> there's a few, few pe people in line already, you know. Uh, some are freezing, some are smoking dope, some of them are drinking. One guy had uh, started a fire in the trash can, sticking his feet in there to warm his shoes, warm his feet, burn his shoes, you know. But, but it was worth it. You know, it was worth it because we were going to go to a Vikings playoff game. You know, we stood there for hours for the door to open. And there was already people ahead of us. And, uh, but we'd have done it all over again the next day. Because it was worth it. We counted the cost, and it was worth it. You know, that, that kind of a crude story gives us a little bit of a glimpse of our Savior and who he is. That will get us over the top. That will put us to a place where we can deny ourselves, where we can lose our life, where we can carry our own cross. We can look at Paul's example. And we'll finish with this. Uh, Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. Four three eleven. We got to remember, Paul was a very stout Pharisaical Jew, kept the law, done everything right. Here's what he tells us: Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I, I've done it. Circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was excited, persecuting the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I did it. I kept it. But whatever things that were gained to me, these things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." And that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He said, all that stuff that I lost, all the stature that I had in Israel, I w he was, a, he was a, a very famous man. Not only was he famous among the people, he was famous with God as far as the law went. That would be a lot to give up. He was at the pinnacle of anything on earth, if you wanted to be anybody on earth, to be at the height of God's standards, Paul had it. He achieved it all. We just listed all the things that he had there, every one of them. You can't get any higher than that. You can't get any higher than where Paul was. But he, but, but he didn't go around and say, do you know what I gave up for Christ? Do you know what I gave up for him? I had a good home, I had a good stature, I had a good reputation, and as far as the law, I was righteous. And I was in good standing with the people. I was revered wherever I went. I gave that up for Christ. He didn't say that. He said, I count that stuff rubbish. Some translations say dung. 
That was nothing. That was absolutely nothing. But I gained Christ. That's what I gained. The more we know Christ, the less valuable, the less costly are the things that we give up. We tend to look at us and see what we have to do in order to be righteous. That makes us law-minded and it makes us self-focused. Sadly, many Christians do that. We become self-focused and we have this law hanging over us. And actually what we're doing is we're taking the grace away and putting the credit back on us and we don't even know it. Instead, we want to look to Christ. We want to look to his rest, his righteousness, and his joy. Let's pray. Lord, there's, uh, there's no other reconciliation than the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we know that today. May we, may we sit down, Lord, and just look at your word and let this completely envelop us. That you, a God of mercy, don't even allow us to take any credit because not only do you deserve it all, Lord, but you have more to show us you have a redemption that we don't even understand yet. Even Paul said, I don't, I don't even comprehend all this. But I'm going to trust it. Lord, we want to trust it today. We want to trust the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ over our lives. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.